Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. The Magic Story Podcast recaps the fiction story of Magic the Gathering. We provide our synopsis and our own bits of flavor text along the way. We are still in season four, talking all about March of the Machine. We've journeyed through the main story, had our ups and downs with our favorite characters in the side stories. But I'm sure you, like us, still have a lot of questions about what comes after. You're in luck, because today we're diving into the second of our two bonus episodes to March of the Machine in its epilogue called The Aftermath, where we might just get some answers to what we're all wondering. We're focusing today's episode on the story titled Beyond Repair, written by Emily Tang. Join us as we head into the multiverse. Before we get into today's episode, Natalie, I just wanted to tell you a little story. So when I was in Barcelona recently, I actually got to host a panel called I've Got a Secret Lair, where I talked to Emily Floyd, Tom Jankot, and Wizard of Barge, amazing artist, about Secret Lair, which as we all know, I've talked about Secret Lair before on the podcast. I love Secret Lair so much. It's such an amazing place. You know I'm a huge Secret Lair fan, Natalie. Oh, I sure do. And I think it's safe to say... We're both hooked on the innovative styles and stunning art that Secret Lair gives to magic. Agreed, 100%. Well, at that panel, we announced a new commander deck that is based around angels called Angels. They're just like us, but cooler and with wings, which what an amazing name. And this is a complete 100 card ready to play commander deck releasing through Secret Lair. To give these angels the proper treatment they deserve, we have worked with fan favorite artist Scott M. Fisher to deliver five cards with brand new artwork. I love angels. Well, to be honest, I love all things that fly. Y'all know I'm obsessed with dragons, too. I think Natalie will definitely be getting this drop, y'all. I think so. And if you, like us, want one of these drops, you can go get it right now. It is on sale right this minute. If you go to magicsecretlayer.com, you can see it. It's like the top thing on the page right now. Go check it out. It's seriously so amazing. Anyway, I was so honored to be able to do that panel. And I just had to mention that that drop is on sale now. If you were um, able to watch the panel live in Barcelona or if you were able to watch the video of it, thank you so much for watching and um, go enjoy some angels in your new commander deck. And one of the reasons that I love angels so much is that we know Elish Norn had been defeated by one. The Phyrexian invasion is over. The multiverse is not the same. Holes have been punched through the blind eternities by both the Silex detonating and the remnants of Realmbreaker, the invasion tree. Even planeswalkers have lost their sparks. Teferi, Nyssa, and Koth were some of whom we know from last episode that can no longer planeswalk. We were in Zalfir with Nyssa and Chandra last episode in the aftermath. For this episode today, we are with Nahiri, our lithomancer. She had been turned at the end of season three, and she did have a side story on her home plane of Zendikar we didn't quite have time to get to on this podcast. But essentially, in this episode, she had been tasked by Elish Norn to bring Zendikar into the Phyrexianized fold, and Nahiri had done just that. The devastation to Zendikar was immense. And Nahiri survived, even after the invasion ended. 
Because she's a lithomancer able to manipulate metals, she had been able to tear the metal off of her own body, which yikes. Uh, yikes. Uh, she describes having to heal from that, scarring herself, but miraculously, Nahiri managed to hang on to herself and wake up from the glistening oil that had consumed her. I think this is only because of what Nahiri is. She is exceedingly powerful as a lithomancer. Metal just has different effects on her. I think it made her more susceptible to Phyrexian influence as a powerful evangel, because Phyrexia is glory of the metal machine, right? But it also maybe didn't affect her in the aftermath because of her abilities to manipulate it. Anyway, what I'm trying to say here is that Nahiri is lucky. She should be dead, but she isn't. She's scarred, both physically and psychologically, but she's alive and herself. And she can no longer planeswalk. She, too, has lost her spark. Like Nyssa. Now, she's still a lithomancer, and she'd just been spending an unknown amount of time, it's been a while from what we can judge in the story, deep within the Zendikar skyclaves, cleaving Phyrexianized metal from Zendikar's natural stone. So these caves are in pitch blackness, the core of Zendikar as a plane. Zendikar had been ruled by something called the Royal, a natural occurrence in Zendikar, an immense power that causes hostile energy tearing the plane apart. It's why Zendikar has all sorts of quaking energy and ever-shifting landscapes. Pieces of the plane floating in the skies, for example, as if the plane itself is in the midst of being shattered. Nahiri had taken advantage of this during the invasion. She had fused herself deep into these skyclaves as a Phyrexianized lithomancer and worked to obliterate Zendikar, reform it into a place of metal, ruled by a twisted version of the royal. That was Elish Norn's goal on every plane, turn its most powerful entity into a Phyrexianized version, and we had seen it again and again across the multiverse. Anyway, Nahiri had been directly responsible for destroying Zendikar, for fusing the metal into the natural plane, and she is clearly traumatized by her own actions. Nahiri is trying to rip out the Phyrexianized metal rooted into the natural plane, peeling it away from the natural stone by hand, one piece at a time. And this is from the story. In theory, it was a straightforward process. Remove the metal that had been grafted into the surroundings and leave behind nothing but the original stone. In practice, it was a nightmare. Completion had fused stone and metal together on a molecular level, and disentangling the two took an excruciating amount of patient, intricate work for every handspan of metal. Fortunately, Nahiri had nothing if not time. And Nahiri had been doing this for so long, she actually lost track of time. Never surfacing, never seeing light, just day after day, grueling away at pulling metal from these caves and dumping them into this cavern, creating a monumental pile of metal bits and pieces in the complete darkness. And Nahiri had first woke from after being Phyrexianized and had healed herself of the Phyrexianization within her, like painfully grafting the metal from her body. She thought someone would come looking for her, but no one came. She doesn't know the extent of how much the multiverse has changed, and she can't planeswalk, so it's not like she can go and see everyone for herself. She assumes most everyone out there must think that she's dead. After all, she should be. Currently, she faced a tricky situation. She'd been working through a particular corridor for the last few days, but now her way was blocked by a wall of interlaced metal all fused into the surrounding rock. The metal pieces were wickedly sharp. She'd cut herself exploring the shape of them. 
she'd have to dismantle it all before she could proceed further. Wrapping her hands around a metal claw, she felt for the seam where stone and metal tangled together, coaxing the stone to loosen its grip. She tried not to dwell on how much effort it took. Every act of lithomancy cost her now, where before it had taken little more than a thought to shape stone to her will. Nahiri continued onward, peeling metal piece after metal piece from this corridor. She eventually came across a section that has many, many metal walls blocking her path. She'd tear down one wall only to reveal another layer behind it, and again and again and again. Exhausted and more than a little alarmed, Nahiri recognizes that she's entering a place that Phyrexia had inherently gone to great lengths to protect. And this was where she, herself, had bound her body to the Skyclave. During the depths of her Phyrexian influence, she had burned herself, her soul, and destroyed everything to destroy Zendikar. She bursts through the last of the metal barriers and enters the room beyond. The room sang to her, stone and metal woven together like the weft and warp of fabric where she had been fused into the very walls. In that deliberate plating, she could read Phyrexia's influence, how it had sought to take the material of this plane and turn it against itself. Because that was what Phyrexia did best, wasn't it? Corrupt the essence of a plane, take your urge to protect and shield and twist it to serve their own ends. A wave of dizziness and nausea swept over her, and she put a hand against the wall to steady herself. But for once, the touch of Phyrexian metal comforted her. It didn't matter what this place had been. Phyrexia was gone for good. Still, she walked the perimeter of the room, trailing a hand over the wall to reassure herself that the metal was, in fact, dead. And during her pass on the perimeter, as she's feeling the walls, she feels a flutter of power, something that does not feel dead. Now, she's both unnerved and curious by this, but she carefully carves into the metal to retrieve whatever ripple of power called out to her from inside the wall. And she unearths a hedron, small enough to fit in her palm. I kind of imagine it maybe like the size of a softball. And a hedron is an elongated diamond-shaped stone that's really distinct to Zendikar. Most hedrons are massive, I mean, absolute monoliths, and they're found all over Zendikar. They're extremely powerful, and they're objects that Nahiri had made herself long ago. Now, we won't get into the full story right now, but essentially, Nahiri had to create them in order to protect her home plane of Zendikar from an extremely powerful foe many years ago called the Eldrazi. And the hedrons have been part of Zendikar ever since. Nahiri held this small hedron in her palm. It was... Almost as if it was placed here, protected by all those metal layers. It was a hedron, if that hedron had grown in impossibly thin slices of stone layer by layer around a central seed, like an oyster laying down coats of pearl around a speck of grit. The whole thing felt delicate, like even an ounce of wrong pressure would crush them. As for the grit in its center, it was her planeswalker spark. All at once, Nahiri feels this weight of hope and guilt crush down on her. She feels the hollowness of where her spark should have been. And she feels the regret of what she did to her own plane, how much she destroyed as a Phyrexian. And this is not easy for her. It's not any easier than it was for any of the other planeswalkers. But I just want to push on the fact that Nahiri is alone, you know, like completely alone. Yeah. And I just feel like, a Johnny woke up 
surrounded by people. Nissa woke up surrounded by people, surrounded by Chandra, who loves her and who what who did everything Chandra could to protect her. But where was that for Nahiri? And so it just sounds like it would be so much more difficult for her to contend with all of this. But with this delicate hedron object in her hand, she has this desire to see the light once more. The skyclaves and caverns of metal and stone are all around her, and she felt like she was suffocating. With a monumental effort of her lithomancy powers, she bursts the cave open, shattering the roof of the cave above, forming steps spiraling up to the outside world. Stone ruptured upward. Metal shrieked and peeled away in violent blossoms. The stone punched through the roof of the chamber and then up and further up until far above it pierced the vaulted roof of the skyclave itself, a rough set of stairs that stretched from her feet all the way to the outside. Sunlight dripped into the darkness. Nahiri sat down hard. Her whole body shook with exhaustion. And she had to swallow rapidly to keep from vomiting. But it was done. She had a way out. As her eyes adjusted to the light, she saw her body for the first time. She'd known she was scarred, of course. She'd felt them in the dark. But it was one thing to feel, and another to see the puckered white lines that striped her skin. The diamond pattern of the skyclaves seared into her where flesh had fused to metal, ripped free, then fused again, over and over. Overlaid against that coldly geometric precision were newer, harsher welts, where she herself had clawed the disgusting, beautiful touch of metal from her body. She ascends these steps to emerge into the light of Zendikar again, and at first she can't bear to open her eyes when she reaches the top, but she forces herself to. She even gives herself this harsh inward command, look, you coward, which right there I think tells us a lot about Nahiri. We'd seen her in hero mode last season, but Nahiri can be incredibly harsh to both herself and to others. And what she sees when she opens her eyes to look upon Zendikar again just disturbs her. It was worse than any wreckage the royal had ever caused. Worse than when the Eldrazi had eaten their way through Balaged. Sinew and metal extended as far as she could see, warped and rent with rivers of oil. She saw all too plainly the brute force of Phyrexia at work, the blind bulldozing of native earth eager simply to spread completion as far and as fast as possible. The scope of it was almost unfathomable. This wasn't something that mortals could fix. This was a problem for gods. She'd thought she could dismantle it, one insignificant piece at a time. Nahiri feels this mix of pain and hopelessness and tremendous guilt overcome her. I mean, she'd been spending days, maybe weeks, maybe longer peeling away metal in the skyclaves, trying to heal herself and her plane. But she's seeing now just how widespread that utter devastation was. And it was all her fault, right? Like she helmed this. It wasn't her fault. She was under Phyrexianized influence, but it's really hard for her to pull those two things apart from each other. Nothing of the real Zendikar seems to have remained. The real plane of Zendikar can be, although harsh and ever shifting with the royal, incredibly beautiful in its natural chaotic energy. It has lush greens and vines and swirls of white clouds and beautiful blue skies. The people where Nahiri come from, the humanoid race called the Core, called Zendikar home. And looking out at it now, it is incredibly different. Phyrexia, Nahiri, had devastated it. And it's almost like she just can't live with the guilt. 
So Nahiri tries to latch onto a plan, some sort of hope to fix the damage she'd done, while she looks at the hedron in her hand and the spark contained within it. While she's reconciling all of this, she feels the pull of power, the familiar distortion of air and heat. And this marks whenever a planeswalker comes onto the plane nearby. She's expecting someone hostile, so she's on high alert. And she expects anyone, Jace or Soren or literally anyone else, except for a bulky white Leonin with a scar across one of his eyes. A Johnny. Now, Nahiri is amazed to see him untainted, to see him as himself again and not Phyrexianized in porcelain and metal. Ajani had been Elishnorn's most trusted lieutenant the last time Nahiri had seen him, so of course she's pretty wary to see him here. She barely knew him. The Leonin who stood before her now was not plated and seamed with porcelain. Now he was just himself, flesh, untainted, and still a planeswalker. She croaks out to him, what are you doing here? To which Ajani responds, he came looking for her though he admits he expected to find her dead. Ajani tells Nahiri that the others are dead. Tamio, Luca, Jace, Vraska. Though he does note that the last two, Jace and Vraska, are not fully confirmed to be dead because their bodies are missing. Ajani says that not everyone is so lucky. Clearly the cost of the invasion is heavy on his face and in his voice. To Nahiri, though... It sounds a little suspicious. And Nahiri, ever the skeptical, wonders if Ajani is a threat to her. She wonders why he came and asks him as such. Ajani says that he came to check on her to see if she was alive and that if she was, he offered a type of solace. He knows what she's going through, reconciling the guilt of what she had done as a Phyrexian and offers that the two of them could try and fix the damage they've done across the multiverse. Ajani senses the spark contained in the hedron in Nahiri's hand, but she hasn't revealed to him that she can't planeswalk. So he's assuming she still has that power at this moment. And this is from the story. Nahiri scowled, not bothering to hide her annoyance. She'd always considered Ajani somewhat high-handed, the way he assumed he knew what was best for everyone. But this was too much. I never asked for your help, she snapped. And I won't be a balm for your guilt. You'll just have to learn to live with it instead. His ear is flattening against his skull. Do you think I'm here on a whim? He growled. This thing must be done. We bore the sin of it here. We must be the ones to fix it, whatever it takes. And when she didn't respond, he continued, voice softer but unsteady now. Doesn't it haunt you, what we did? I remember everything as a, a Phyrexian. It seemed to cost him to say that word. Every evil act, every memory, it's there, intact. Is it the same for you? Abruptly, she saw herself, kneeling on the neck of a skyclave elemental, anointing it, no, drowning it, in oil. How she had blessed, cursed, corrupted, everything she touched, dragging Phyrexia in her wake in a glistening skirt. How she had believed with all her heart that she was saving her plane from something worse. A bitter, metallic taste flooded her mouth. Furious, she shoved the memory away. Nahiri insists that Ajani leave her alone, that she doesn't want his help. 
she's offended that a Johnny thinks they can heal from what they've done in the first place. And it occurs to her then that maybe a Johnny had killed the others. Luca, Jace, Tomio, Vraska. He hasn't mentioned how they died. And this is what drives her to attack him while he is unsuspecting. She hardly thinks it through. A blast of metal shattering the platform on which they stood covering the skyclaves. And the attack is just far too powerful, which she realizes too late. The platform bursts apart, sending Nahiri careening downward into the darkness. And the last thing she sees is a Johnny trying to reach for her, save her, crying out her name in fright. A short time later, she wakes up to darkness. She had fallen straight into the pit of metal she had been tossing into the caverns before. A claw-like piece had pierced right through her shoulder, which she pulls out with a shout. And yeesh, I got legit shivers imagining having to pull out a piece of metal from my shoulder. Ow. Yeah. But miraculously, she's alive otherwise. Ajani is nowhere to be seen. The hedron that contained her spark had also fallen with her, and it's lying in the metal pile a short distance away. So she crawls over to it, still bleeding from her wound. As soon as she picked it up, though, she knew something was wrong. The slices of thin, fragile stone that had petaled around the core were cracked, and even the one still intact looked duller, rougher. It must have been shattered in the fall. She couldn't feel her spark at all. For a moment, all Nahiri could do was sit there and stare. Whatever essence of herself had been infused in the stone was there no longer. Her last hope at regaining her power, at becoming a planeswalker once more, was gone. All she had left to fix Endicar with was herself. Powerless. She would have laughed if she didn't think it would break her apart. So Nahiri drops the hedron and crawls herself out of the cave again. When she reaches the top, staring out at the desolate, destroyed Zendikar once more, Nahiri feels this bottomless rage from the pit of her chest. Anger. Just so much anger. It rises within her and fills the void of her spark, of her loss, of her guilt. She could see it all so clearly now. The real threat, the real problem, was not herself. It was not even Phyrexia. It was Planeswalkers. This was what planeswalkers did. They went to a new plane, wreaked havoc on it, then departed without further thought for the damage they caused. Just as a Johnny had come here, seeking her for his own selfish purposes, ruined her last chance of truly healing Zendikar, and then ran away, leaving her to deal with the consequences of his actions. She should know. She used to be one herself. Nahiri clenched her fists, feeling her nails bite into her palms, the fury felt good, the warmth of it comforting and familiar. Anger, she knew. Anger she could harness, could use to fuel more works in the future. Harnessing this rage, Nahiri decides she's done hiding away in the darkness. She decides she would fix Zendikar. Zendikar had always healed from the ravages that brought its demise before, the Eldrazi being one of them. She would defend it against anything that would dare to step foot here again. Particularly... The planeswalkers. And this is from the story. Nahiri looked out over the wreck of her plane, her beautiful, blighted, broken home. She would protect it until her last breath. She was still Zendikar's guardian after all. She would always be Zendikar's guardian. No more, she breathed. No more pain. No more suffering. Her voice hardened with furious conviction. Whatever it takes, I swear, no planeswalker will set foot on Zendikar ever again. 
And that is how the story ends. That is how the episode ends, y'all. Like, whew. I, when I, I'll be perfectly honest, when I first read this, I was just, like, at first I was just so overwhelmingly, oh, poor Nahiri. (laughs) You know, like, at the very beginning, I was just, like, overwhelmingly, oh, my gosh, Port, I, I felt so strongly for Nahiri how how much of a struggle that must have been for her. And then slowly over the course of this episode, I was seeing the rage consume her. And just I it's not that I don't feel sorry for her. I absolutely still feel sorry for her because it's all misplaced. All of this anger is so completely misplaced. But I got a little afraid of Nahiri. I'll be perfectly honest in that. It's like she turned into somebody scary by the end of this, like all of that rage and all of that power completely misdirected. I don't know about you, Harless, but like that was that was my like journey, emotional journey through this episode. And it was intense. I'll say, you know, as someone who and this is a little personal, but what else? As someone who doesn't have like a strong familial support system, I feel like this hit really hard for me because When you have to do everything alone, when all of your mistakes are your mistakes alone to fix, it's hard. It's so hard. And that's what I got from her was that at first I was really feeling for her. At first I was like, oh my gosh, this poor thing, like completely alone. Where are her friends? Where are her family? And then you see slowly, oh, she pushed every single person away. And even in this moment where a Johnny is coming and offering his paw to her, not hand, obviously it's a paw. <laughs> he's a um, Leonin. Yeah. You know, he's a Leonin. Um, she smacks it away practically. She hits him away so hard that she hurts herself in doing so. And I think it's so hard because you want to just say, no, 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 like just reach out, just break down your wall and reach out. But she can't, you're right. That rage is she blinding can't. to her. She's not able to. And so I don't know what this means for Nihiri in the future, but the fact that not only is she saying no one was here for me, but I outright reject you all. I reject all my former peers. That's not a good spot for her to be putting herself in. And really, it's going to harm her more than anyone else. Yeah, this is this is very self-destructive for for Nihiri. And it's it's very it's it's very much these these are effects of things that were out of her control and also things that she chose to do like and i think the combination of those two like you said harless it's just it 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 was a domino effect it's like one thing leading to another that ultimately led her to be just like she has become the, the way that i imagined it is that the royal of zendikar now exists within her right like it's Ooh. all of that chaotic like hostile destructive energy is now within her it's just a hurricane of of a destructive force that is existing in in nahiri and i'm with you harless i don't know what this means for nahiri's future but it can't be good it really it really can't be good and i think one of the most telling things in the story too is that nahiri is always looking for an excuse to not connect with somebody Like she immediately, I I feel like if this had been any other planeswalker, their first question when a planeswalker arrived behind them would have been, who is here to help me? But for Nahiri, it is who is here to hurt me? 
And I think that speaks a lot to her past hurts, but it also speaks to the fact that she's the only one that can forgive those past hurts. And she has yeah. a lot of work to do if she wants to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we actually didn't dive into Nahiri's side story from March of the Machine, the story where she had returned to Zendikar as a Phyrexian and completely destroyed it. But if you want to check it out for yourself, we highly encourage you to hop over to mtgstory.com. You can read Battles in the Field in the Mind, which is the side story I just mentioned, as well as the story we covered today and so much more. If you liked today's episode, do us a huge favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And thank you so much to all of you who have already done so. Your support for The Magic Story is tremendously appreciated, and I promise you reread every one of those reviews. And at that, March of the Machine has come to a close. Season four has been such a wild ride, just absolutely mind-blowing. I cried, I laughed, I cheered, I awed. Such an honor to read and talk about these stories on the podcast. This whole Phyrexian arc, really, ever since Dominaria United, I mean, we've been over 30 episodes already, and they've gone by so quickly. Yes, it is with bittersweetness that season four has come to a close. But the wonderful world of Magic the Gathering doesn't end with March of the Machine, and neither does our podcast. The story of Magic has many, many more adventures to tell. Characters, planes, the multiverse is still out there, and we're ready to continue exploring it with you. A new season of the Magic Story podcast is coming to you right around the corner with a whole new set of adventures. We certainly can't wait. Stay tuned for season five of the Magic Story podcast coming soon. Until then, though, we hope you have, have a magical, magical day. day.